Greetings, people of Earth, and welcome to UFO Mod Pod. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm Ryan Sprague. And I'm Maureen Ellsbury. Thanks once again for joining us. Yes, thank you for joining us for this November 14th, 2016 episode. As we mentioned on the last episode, Rogue Planet has a new podcast titled Redactus. We just debuted the first episode of this fictional paranormal audio drama inspired by real events. If that's something that interests you, head over to RoguePlanet.tv and give it a listen. The first episode is called The Vandenberg Index. It's about a meeting with a mysterious man who wants to give a deathbed testimony regarding his involvement with a secret government project that tracks and investigates UFOs and other paranormal phenomena. We're happy to have this new podcast out there in the world. Do let us know your thoughts about this new series after you give it a listen. We also mentioned last week that, or not last week, on the last episode, that Ryan's new book, Somewhere in the Skies, A Human Approach to an Alien Phenomenon, is out now, and you can get that on Amazon. And Ryan, I guess you recently had some signed copies available, but those are gone now, huh? <laughs> I know. I, uh, I I feel bad, guys, because I wanted to put two aside for you. Um I'm still willing to do that because you know I love you both. Um, I, you know what? I thought, what the heck? Um, I, I, in in a world, I can't imagine someone wanting my horrible signature on anything. But <laughs> um, I had some books. I put it up on Facebook, and they were gone within a day, um, which is amazing. Um, so I'm hoping to get another batch in, and uh, I'll be sure to let everyone know on the podcast for sure awesome. um, if you want one of those. Yeah, I mean, that that kind of response and that, that support when you put something out is so rewarding. It's so exciting. I'm glad to see that, uh, you know, there's a demand for that, Ryan. And, uh, you know, that, that signature, it's it's might seem a little silly, but, you know, that, that little personalization, that personal touch is uh, kind of special for people. So... You've got to got to bug the publisher there and uh, and get some more of those in stock. I'm just gonna send him my copy and require not only a scribble. I want like an essay at the beginning. Yes, absolutely. Personalized, you know personalized essay. essay. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I am willing to do that, guys. Just to let you know, if anyone has a copy and they want to mail it to me, I would be more than happy to pay the shipping to send it back to you for sure. <laughs> that's that's gonna cause some problems, Ryan. You're gonna gonna be flooded with bit. those. <laughs> let's edit this out. very no, nice very nice of you ryan media mail is cheap <laughs> yeah that's, that's true. true that's true also on the previous episode of ufo mod pod we talked more about tom DeLong's secret machines franchise and we reminded listeners that this robust property has many elements to it beyond the already released historical fiction novel chasing shadows written by aj hartley like a series of nonfiction books. And we now know the title of the first in this nonfiction series. It's called Secret Machines, Gods, an Official Investigation of the UFO Phenomenon. This one is written by Peter Lavenda, and it includes a foreword by respected scientist and preeminent UFO researcher Jacques Vallée. Now, I'll go ahead and give you this kind of overview of uh, what this book is and what it what it entails from the publisher. They say, an exceptional examination from award-winning author and producer Tom DeLong with renowned research author Peter Lavenda, Secret Machines, Gods, 
will take you on an eye-opening journey that transcends speculation and is based on unprecedented access to officials at the highest levels of government, military, and industrial agencies who provided insight and assistance never before experienced by any researchers in this controversial field. God takes us beyond speculation to certain knowledge of what exactly lies at the heart of the most important phenomenon ever to confront human understanding. The first volume introduces the reader to some of the critical issues that are foundational to an intelligent and enlightened grasp of the revelations that will follow in the next two volumes. There is another force in the universe of our reality, another context for comprehending what has been going on for millennia and especially in the last 70 years. Secret Machines is the result of input from scientists, engineers, intelligence officers, and military officials, a group we call the Advisors, and transcends the speculation of journalists, historians, and others whose conclusions are often either misinformed or only tease around the edges of the Secret Machines. The reader will not discover wild theories or unfounded claims, but instead will confront a solid, if often unsettling, reality one that demands the collaboration of all of us in every field of human endeavor if we are to understand it and to manage its effects. If nothing else, readers will come to the conclusion that the phenomenon is not what we think that it is. It is, in fact, much more serious and potentially much more threatening than any can imagine. Secret Machines, God's an Official Investigation of the UFO Phenomenon, releases in March 2017. And this sounds exactly what... We've been promised all along with this franchise and told what the franchise entails. You know, I'm still not entirely sure personally what to think of the content that's going to be in it because, you know, this sounds like a hyped up thing like we've seen in so many other UFO publications before. Like, oh, yeah, no other no other researcher has access to this information. What I'm presenting is the information you need because all others is is not so good, you know. I don't really like that mindset, but, you know, that's just my personal opinion. We have yet to read this information. I love that Jacques Vallée uh, has the foreword in this book. That's fantastic. Peter Lavenda, great researcher, great guy. And uh, we'll have him on the show very soon to tell us more about his involvement in this project. And the interesting, he's got a great, great story about the the in-depth research he's really done for this whole Secret Machines franchise. So it'd be great to hear from him. So... Glad to see that the first of these nonfiction books is finally coming out. I'm excited to see it, guys. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, it, it, again, like the fact that Valet did the forward that um that lends a lot of credibility. And Peter's great. Like we've all been following his work for a while. He seems very genuine in his approach to this and how the not a, uh, the mainstream, but how the UFO community is going to take it. So um again, all we can do, guys, in this time is wait and see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I won't go too much further into we've already talked about it on the previous episode. If you haven't seen that, we talked in depth about uh, Tom and his involvement with this project. So, um, yeah, just wait and see, and hopefully it'll be something interesting. And like you both said, Peter's a meticulous researcher uh, from a historical standpoint and from, you know, doing his due diligence to try to get to the bottom of things. So mm-hmm. be interesting. And just a side note here, I will throw out a nice little plug for our friends at To The Stars. Uh, Tom DeLong's company, To The Stars, has another book coming out. This one is in the Cathedrals of Glass franchise. That's another one of the many franchises that Tom had 
slated to uh, come out long ago, more, more than a year ago when he launched To the Stars. And the book's title is Planet of Blood and Ice. And this one was written by Chasing Shadows author A.J. Hartley. Maureen and I were fortunate enough to read this book a year ago. And I can't speak for Maureen, but I really enjoyed this book. It's fun sci-fi, and New York Times bestselling author A.J. Hartley is really good at painting a picture with words and crafting thrilling conflicts. So I enjoyed this book. Um, don't know what the final version of it is. I'm sure it was changed many times since uh, Maureen and I read it. But this book comes out in February, and you can find more details at ToTheStars.media. Yeah, I'm actually excited to see what they changed. I read that one within a day. Um, mm. it's, it's young adult again, so it's mm -hmm. very, it's easy read, but it has, it's set in space. So it's a lot of, um, cool, interesting things of what might be in sort of a little bit of a, a Star Trek vibe when it comes to landing on other planets and never knowing what is there. Yeah. I, I thought it was a fun read and I didn't read it as fast as you, but uh, pretty fast and certainly faster than Chasing Shadows because Chasing Shadows is so long. <laughs> it was a big one to chew for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in our effort to provide a modern introduction to the UFO phenomenon for a new generation, on each episode of UFO Mod Pod, we highlight a historical UFO case. And today, we're highlighting the Leveland UFO incident. On the evening of November 2nd, 1957, Pedro Saucedo and Joe Salas reported a UFO sighting to the Leveland Police Department. Saucedo claimed that while driving west, he and Salas saw a blue flash of light near the road. Suddenly, their truck's engine died. As they stared out in front of them, a cigar-shaped craft appeared to be descending and heading right toward them. Saucedo stated that, quote, I jumped out of the truck and hit the dirt because I was afraid. The thing passed directly over my truck with a great sound and rush of wind. It sounded like thunder, and my truck rocked from the flash. I felt a lot of heat. End quote. The object soon vanished off into the distance, and the engine to the truck restarted. About an hour later, another witness, Jim Wheeler, reported to the police a brilliantly lit egg-shaped object about 200 feet long sitting in the road four miles away from where Saucedo had his sighting. Wheeler claimed his vehicle died, and as he got out of his car, the object took off. As it did so, Wheeler's car restarted. Later that night, over a dozen more people claimed to have seen a brightly lit object, egg-shaped in nature, zipping through the skies. All reported that their vehicles had died when the object was closest to the ground. At this point, the police had no choice but to actively investigate the incoming reports. Among those involved was Sheriff Weir Clem, who saw a brilliant red object moving across the sky at 1.30 a.m. Around the same time, the Leveland Fire Chief, Ray Jones, also saw an object, and his vehicle's lights and engine died as well. In total, 15 reports were filed that night of this strange object in Leveland. The sighting soon made national headlines, and soon, the government-funded project Blue Book investigators came in to see what was going on. They interviewed Saucedo, Wheeler, and several other witnesses, learning that all of them remembered a thunderstorm being present in the area 
earlier in the day. The official Blue Book determination of the case was that due to a severe electrical storm, what all had probably witnessed was ball lightning, which also could account for the electrical issues in all the vehicles that had shut down during the sightings. Donald Menzel, a prominent UFO researcher at the time, agreed with Blue Book investigators, but admitted that they were very haphazard in their investigation, saying that, quote, Since ball lightning is short-lived and cannot be preserved as tangible evidence, its appearance on that night of November 2nd can never be absolutely proved, end quote. However, he also argued that, quote, Only the saucer proponents could have converted so trivial a series of events, a few stalled automobiles, balls of flame in the sky, at the end of the thunderstorm, into a national mystery. End quote. But other prominent researchers, including James McDonald and Dr. J. Allen Hynek, disputed the ball lightning theory, arguing no storm had taken place that night, and that it could not account for the vehicle disruptions, even if it were present. McDonald went so far as to speak about the case in a testimony before a committee of the U.S. House of Representatives in 1968, saying that Project Blue Book did a very poor job at determining what this could have been. The Levland UFO incident remains one of the most mysterious sightings in UFO history, with investigators debating its true nature even up until today. Brian, thank you so much for that overview. You did a fantastic job there. And there, there are a lot of details to this case, as there are with, you know, all of these weird and fascinating cases from UFO history. Um, like you said, I, I something that uh, makes this one really stand out is just the, the number and quality of the witnesses, you know, police and fire officials. But you have that oh so often or, or too often given... Uh, excuse at that time of ball lightning really weird stuff yeah at yeah, least it, it wasn't is. swamp gas guys that's they, right I they get tired of swamp gas that. yeah <laughs> um it, it seems like a lot of the blue book conclusions always involved weather anomalies which you know is understandable i mean with aerial phenomena that's going to happen um but just like you said with the swamp gas, um, this is a very contentious case. So many witnesses, um, they sort of backtracked and said there were no storms that mm-hmm. night. So you do have to wonder. This this really is a case where I could see both sides of it for sure. Um, uh, but just the, the amount of detail that each witness gave and the uh, – the similarities were astounding to say the least. So again, this will remain one of the most uh, – credible documented and contentious cases out there well and you sure. mentioned the uh you know kind of recurring scapegoat ball light, lightning offered there by a lot of the blue book cases but what i love about that is in many of those cases some of the scientists and people who were taking the project quite seriously were very vocal coming out against the ball lightning explanation Mm-hmm. So I love I love hearing that. I know uh, Catherine Ruppelt, who was in charge of Blue Book for a while, did some fantastic <laughs> ripping on that excuse. <laughs> uh, but James McDonald, another one, you know, somebody who knew a little bit something about ball lightning, um, actively spoke out against that in, in this case as well, uh, like you mentioned. 
So I love seeing that. And, you know, what, what do you think about, I, I don't know if anybody mentioned, I'm sure they must have mentioned this, any possible correlation, but it's interesting that, uh, you know, Loveland is only 30 miles or so west of Lubbock, Texas. And yeah. a few years prior to that, the Lubbock, Lubbock Lights incident took place. Kind of similar, mm -hmm. you know, differences, well, but uh, somewhat similar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Somewhat. I think that there's the, I mean, the, the big differences in a lot of this. And, and even with the ball lightning is like every one of these witnesses, not everyone, but quite a few of them, you know, they had seen this bright glowing object and it was actually like on the pavement at that point. Um, to where it slowly rose and then disappeared, which seems kind of a little far-fetched for ball lightning, but also yeah. I can see the side where maybe that could be a possibility. I don't know. Yep, it's uh, Texas has a lot of, I mean, granted it takes up, you know, quarter of the <laughs> country, the country, but yeah. Texas is big. <laughs> There's a lot of very interesting sightings from Texas, uh, especially during this time period as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, just, even the U.S. mysteries. I will uh, point out and 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 plug um, one of Jacques Vallée's his recent book. What is the title of that? Do you remember that, Maureen? That was it. Wonders in the Sky. Uh, that was about five or six years ago. Was Wonders in the Sky? Yeah, is that where you're talking about? Yeah, okay. absolutely. And really, it's a look back at uh, you know kind of accounts of UFOs in antiquity and, and kind of through history. I forget what time periods it covers, but they do have several uh, accounts of very, very, very old instances that were similar to this, where these balls of light were seen and they're described as coming down and like coming to the ground and sitting on the ground and then returning to the sky. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, yeah. the thought by some scientists, you know, in modern times is that they could potentially be explained by meteorites or something like that. But uh, just like you mentioned, you know, with ball lightning, same holds true for meteorites. They don't typically go down, hang out on the ground and then return to the sky. So. <laughs> yeah, good point. But that's a fantastic book with lots of interesting accounts, you know, plenty of which could potentially be explained by natural phenomena, but some really weird stuff, too. So it's just a fa fascinating kind of illustration of how UFOs certainly aren't a new thing <laughs> and how, although the terminologies and descriptions might have changed over the years and certainly have changed, um, you know, this has been something that humanity has been exploring forever since the beginning. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, with that, let's jump into our interview today with a pretty cool author and writer. Maureen, go ahead and take it away. Pete Krulos is a freelance writer and author based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He's a regular contributor to publications such as The River West Currents, M Magazine, 40 and Times, and The Shepherd Express. He's also been published in a wide variety of other publications, including The New York Press and The Guardian. He currently has two books out dedicated to unique subcultures and is actively working on a third. Thanks so much for joining us, T. Oh, thanks for having me. To start things off, I'd like to talk about your second book, which was released last summer, entitled Monster Hunters on the Trail with Ghost Hunters, Bigfooters, Ufologists, and Other Paranormal Investigators. Now, this, this really isn't your typical paranormal nonfiction book because it focuses on the people behind the phenomenon instead of the actual ghosts in Bigfoot. Uh, how did the inspiration for this book come about? Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in uh, groups of people who are 
doing something that might be considered different, unusual, you know, I've always been drawn to subcultures and movements and uh, groups of people like that. And um, so, yeah, I had this idea of, I was just, I was genuinely really curious to uh, meet some of these people because I've always been interested in the topics and I was aware that people research them and investigate them. Um, but I hadn't met any people like that. So um, I just, and I thought it would be kind of a unique approach uh, because as you mentioned, you know, there's, there's tons and tons of nonfiction books that are about case studies or how to, but I thought it'd be interesting to just kind of um, meet and talk about who are the people that do this. Yeah, and I think you did a good job where you didn't just contact people that are really off the wall, bat shit crazy, so to speak. <laughs> uh, you, you know, you managed to find some people that you looked for a little bit more credible. Um, and how, how was that? Were you surprised that there were more normal people in the field than uh, maybe most people expect? Yeah, a little bit. You know, um, I, I always try to get a good balance of, of different types of people, um, but. Yeah, it was it was it it made me feel really good about doing the project because if I would have encountered um, just people that are totally crazy, the book would have gotten really old really fast. I think. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I mean, there it might have been kind of funny or something for a few pages, but you can't really build a whole book on something like that. I don't think. So it, I was very relieved to, to find that. Um, uh, a lot of people were super intelligent and, um, you know, had a very uh, sane approach to investigating these things. Yeah, that, that always is a little reassuring, especially uh, when you invest a lot of time in this. Uh, how long was the research segment of this book? Um, I'm trying to remember. I think it's, uh, I signed up I pitched the book to my publisher and and they went for it and then I think I finished it about 15 months later so a little bit over a year that's a decent amount of time I don't remember when uh, our first correspondence took place uh, but I will say I was notably surprised on your more active approach you know you weren't putting out a book that was just armchair research that was you know relying heavily on what you're finding on the internet and books or interviews to make a point, you actually went out in the field to witness investigations and meet people face to face. I can imagine that prompted a number of pretty bizarre incidents. Uh, is there any one or two in particular where you might have thought, what did I get myself into? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you know, my approach, uh, I, I'm not good at doing the armchair uh, research thing. Uh, my writing really depends a lot on me getting out and participating and uh, meeting people and and having experiences with them so you know definitely a couple of creepy weird things happened Um, I think like the major thing that happened to me um, that I will never forget is I took this trip to Michigan to meet this uh, Bigfoot researcher Jim Sherman a really awesome guy you know He's a, he's a high school history teacher, and then in his his spare time, he likes to get out and look for evidence of Bigfoot. So we had this very terrifying night together where um, we at first thought that we had heard a Bigfoot screaming at us. 
uh, and uh, and later, uh, you know, he he has a recording of it, and he, um, we think that it actually might have just been a coyote, uh, mm-hmm. and it, it scared us very badly. But but the weird thing that happened that night was we actually then saw a UFO up in the sky, um, and it was this kind of ball of light that was hovering around and zipping back and forth and we watched it through binoculars for a while and uh, Jim got some video of it but we got to understand the frustration because the, the video actually doesn't really do the, the spectacle justice but you know what was it I don't know I don't know I wouldn't say it was necessarily extraterrestrial or anything but but I have nothing to compare it to so right something unexplained still to this day um yeah did you try after that sighting did you try and go um to investigate maybe possible explanations of what it could be or just uh sort of remain bewildered <laughs> for eternity yeah i mean uh i i tried to figure it out i i found out that a lot of my friends are, are skeptical so they like to tell me what i saw which was you know a drone flying around at, at three in the morning or airplane headlights caught in the fog. But, uh, I mean, no, nothing that I've heard so far really satisfies me because of the movement of the object. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just have no idea what it could have possibly been. And I think you make an appointment, uh, important point there where it's, it's really easy to dismiss things if you weren't there. So seeing a video yeah. or, um, you know, hearing a story, it's easy for people to just sh- shut down um, whatever it was. But the truth is, sometimes people weren't there. They have no idea how extreme something looked, um, which I think is always important for people to remember when uh, they are seeing uh, unusual photographs. Usually, I mean, let's be honest, most can be explained, but, you know, sometimes that there's not a rational explanation. So, that's really interesting. I, I, you know, a lot of people spend so much time wishing they've had a UFO sighting or within the field who spend their whole lives looking for it. And you're out covering these people and you manage to see something you can't explain. Uh, that's pretty fantastic. Yeah. And, and the timing, you know, it, it was so weird because, as I say, you know, we're looking for Bigfoot. So, yeah. uh, you know, and we had just had this. I guess a coyote is screaming at us. So, I, you know, I was looking for big, like, literally looking out the window of Jim's Jeep. We were sitting in his Jeep because we were afraid. Uh, we were literally looking for Bigfoot, and then I saw a UFO. So it was a very weird night. I'm sure uh, you're, you've been aware of the, the, a lot of people think there's a connection between Bigfoot and, and uh, yeah. UFOs, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it, it was funny because actually the day before this happened, uh, me and Jim were, were just walking through the forest and, and we were talking about that. I was like, do you think that, you know, this is kind of a valid theory? And he, was, he said, you know, he was open to it. He was like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what Bigfoot is, so it's possible. But yeah, it was, it was all the timing was very strange. Yeah. Uh, were you surprised? Because you spent a lot of time, you know, whether it was... Uh, researching cryptids or being on ghost hunts, um, the amount of waiting and nothing going on, you know, staring at the sky absently for hours, uh, were you expecting that or was that more of a surprise? 
Yeah. Um, so one great thing that happened during the book was I, I wanted to kind of join up with a team that I could meet over and over again and, and get to know them. And there's a team here in Milwaukee called the Paranormal Investigators of Milwaukee, and they do uh, ghost research. So before I even went out with them, they kind of gave me that warning. Uh, they said, you know, look, I don't know what you think or what you know. But you see these reality TV shows, and they're very exciting, and there's people getting scared and um, all this evidence and stuff. But that's not what it's really like. It, what it is is you spend a lot of long nights sitting there in the dark with nothing happening, and then maybe once in a while you'll get something interesting. But for everything interesting you get, you know, there's hours and hours and hours of nothing. And... Uh, you know, sure enough, they were they were right about that. <laughs> it's good to have a warning, though, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you you had a chapter where you came out at the time. Jason and I were both co-organizers of the International UFO Congress, um, which is the largest UFO event, and it's you know not exciting like an investigation, so to speak. It's more lectures and hearing from a lot of people who have varying beliefs. Uh, however. I know that you mentioned in the book that you were exhausted trying to follow me around as I was walking really fast around the conference. And then you decided to bring that craziness onto your own life by uh, creating and organizing the Milwaukee Paracon, which just wrapped up its second year. Uh, Tell us a little bit about why that came about. Sure. Um, Well, I I was wrapping up my book, Monster Hunters, and um, I was was excited about it. and, And I was like... What, what can I do to kind of um, promote the book, have a book release party? And it just I kind of had this idea that I would like to do a mini conference, like a one-day event. And, um, you know, like I mentioned, the Paranormal Investigators of Milwaukee, I'm like, those guys can be there and they, they can tell people what they do instead of just me talking about it. And um, there's a couple other local... Midwest people, uh, Jim Sherman, the guy I mentioned, the Bigfoot researcher from from Michigan. I was like, oh, I can uh, invite Jim to to drive over from Michigan. It's not that far. So I started putting together this event that was kind of like a, a book release event conference type thing, but it, it really quickly started to become something bigger than that, you know. And uh, I started getting contacted by people who are hearing about it on social media saying that they wanted to be a part of it you know did we have vendor tables available and it just kind of quickly assembled into this one day event um and uh once the word got out it, it became kind of a big thing we had really good attendance um there was a lot of interest in the local media here and I was like, well, now I got to do it again, <laughs> I guess, you know, and uh, really put together a pretty ambitious year two. Um, we moved to a bigger venue, uh, it expanded into a two day event. And and as you know, um, my life just got crazy because I was doing most of the, the planning of this event myself. So, um, yeah, it, it just it happened last month. It was great. You know, we had, we had great guest speakers. Um, we had a lot of the enthusiasm that we had from year one as far as attendance, um, vendors, 
media interests and stuff like that. That's great. You also had a special event, which was dubbed the Roswell Debate, and oh, yeah. uh, basically focused on UFO, uh, UFO investigation techniques and the 1947 crash. And it was between Donald Schmidt and Mark O'Connell. Uh, I'm curious how this went. I haven't seen much online of what happened outside of, you know, a few uh, conspiracy-oriented posts from Mark O'Connell afterwards. <laughs> but uh, how do you feel the debate went, and were there any notable revelations? Yeah, um, it's a, it's, this is a really, really interesting story um, that developed over the course of about a year. Um, and eventually, I'm hoping, you know, and, and I, I guess it's not it's not good to project too far ahead, but eventually I do want to write another book that would be kind of Monster Hunters, but focuses more on UFO researchers. And this would definitely be a chapter of that book because it's a very interesting story. <laughs> um, so Milwaukee Paranormal Conference year one, I started asking some different people who would be good guests. And uh, someone was like, oh, well, Donald Schmidt. And I was like, wow, I had no idea that he lived in Wisconsin. Because actually, when I went to the International UFO Congress, I saw Donald's talk um, about Wright-Patterson. And I thought it was very interesting. But I, but for some reason, I had no idea that he lived in the, the same state that I, that I do. Um, I was like, oh, great, you know, I'm going to contact him. And then someone else uh, suggested Mark O'Connell, who, um, for a while at least, was the Wisconsin head of MUFON here. Mm -hmm. And also an interesting thing about him is he's actually written a couple of scripts for, um, he wrote some scripts for Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. And he also lives here in Wisconsin. So I was like, well, this is great, you know? these are both good guests to have. And uh, so I contacted both of them and, and asked them to participate, and they both said yes. But then uh, Mark was like, hey, you know, just so you know, don't, like, put me on a panel with Donald Schmidt or anything. Because <laughs> like I just, I don't really, you know, we have some issues between us. I was like, okay, well, drama, you know, as you know, the drama is out there. <laughs> Too much of it. <laughs> Too much. Um, but I was like, okay, fine. You know, I get it. You know, people don't like each other. And I told them, you know, yeah, no, no problem. You don't have to talk to each other if you don't want to. And then I started noticing kind of a steady stream of criticism from Mark on his blog about Donald Schmidt, especially in, in the months leading up to the conference last year, uh, was the Roswell slides. Oh, yeah. So the big news, the big news of uh, the UFO community. So he was uh, taking a lot of uh, shots at, at Donald on his blog about the Roswell slides. Um, so anyway, they, they both show up, and everything goes fine, you know. And then months pass by, and I'm starting to think about next year. So I send Donald an email, and I say, Hey, you know, we're we're going to do a year two, and if you have something you want to do there, I, I'm I'm interested to to hear what you might like to do. And he responds, "I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to debate Mark O'Connell on stage." I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> okay." So I emailed Mark, and he was like, 
I'll do it. Sure. Sure. I guess I'll do it. And, um, I was like, this is exciting. It's exciting for me as an event promoter because there's some drama there, but I also think it's, it's a great chance for people to hear some different perspectives on, um, UFO research and, and the Roswell case. So I, I tracked down a debate moderator. He's actually, um, been a debate coach and a forensics coach at Lakeland College, which is not too far from Milwaukee. And uh, he agreed to moderate the debate. And, um, you know, we, we had a lot of back and forth establish, establishing what we would talk about in the debate and debate rules and, and stuff like that. So um, it went well. It was a pretty civil debate. Um, I'm not sure that there was any major uh, revelations, but um, Donald obviously has written several books on Roswell, and he believes that it's a significant case. And Mark um, kind of believes that it's been a lot of a lot of it has been hype, you know. So, as, as um, many cases are. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we do. Very shortly in the future, uh, we do have audio recording and we have a video recording. So we are working on getting either audio or video of the debates online in some form or possibly both. So people will be able to check it out for themselves. Very cool. Yeah, I think that's what, what I saw uh, in terms of the controversy uh, conspiratorial post was uh, Mark wondering where the recordings were, why they weren't online yet. But, you know, that's a lot of work for people who are putting on events to get that kind of stuff up, you know, the day after. It's it's probably not going to happen that quickly. So um, it's yeah. hold your horses. Mark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that. I don't think that there's any sort of conspiracy. I think it's just been, you know, people are super busy and, you know, like I know for myself, like when the conference was done, I needed about like two weeks just to catch up, like doing my dishes. Oh yeah. Like it was just so overwhelming that I'm still, it's actually, it's uh, almost a month later and I'm still like just trying to tie up loose ends. Right. No, I, I hear you. And, and a lot of people don't know how much uh, goes into putting on an event and, you know, how long it, how much work it is for the organizers and then, yeah, how much recovery time you need. But also, you know, it's extremely expensive too. And even if you have a really successful event, there's always surprise costs, and um, right now, I want to mention you have a campaign running uh, to secure the future for Paracon, so you can do it again, um, if you want to talk about that at all. Yeah, um, you know, it's. I think the event went really well. I think the attendance was good, but it's just, as you say, there, there's so many costs that build up. Uh, you know, venue rental, um, event. we had to pay some event insurance. Um, we had to pay for supplies. It's just even if you don't, you've done a small event like a, a birthday party or a bachelor party or something, you know, like how expensive things can get really quickly. Mm-hmm. So this was just a huge event, and um, you know, we uh, we did well, but um, we need to come up with 
some funds for uh, some money that we owe. Uh, otherwise, I, I just don't think it's going to be sustainable, you know. It, the event has pretty much been um, put on by myself and some volunteers. So it's not like we have a production company backing us or a casino or something like that. Right. It's really it's really a grassroots, like, DIY type of event. And, so, and, and it's great that you've gotten such a following out there for that. Um, so... People, you know, I encourage anybody to donate, even if you're not in Wisconsin. Uh, you can find that campaign at GoFundMe.com slash SaveMPC. And you also have some super cool t-shirts still for sale uh, that have really cool monster artwork, as well as aliens. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have a really killer uh, art team. Um, I love them. They've they've all been just fantastic. And, yeah, if you go to MilwaukeeParacon.com, we have a link. Uh, we have a tab for the store, and you can follow a link to our our square page. We've got T-shirts and coffee mugs and stickers and stuff like that. Awesome. And uh, one final question for you: After all this experience, uh, now that you've put into the paranormal various topics, has uh, your perception about? Uh, ghosts or Bigfoot or UFOs been challenged or changed in any way? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, going in, I love the topics. You know, I, I've always loved the topics. I'll, I'll say I probably went into the story kind of skeptical um, just because I, I've not seen a lot of compelling stuff. But, you know, spending time talking to a lot of people who are eyewitnesses, um, hearing about people's research that I was unaware of, uh, it definitely opened my mind more to, at least opened my mind up to more possibilities about um, what could be out there. And I've never thought that, you know, I have all the answers to the secrets of the universe. So, you know, it was, it's, it's been very interesting. Uh, and it still does. You know, one of the great things about being involved with the Paranormal Conference is I'm meeting new interesting people all the time so it's really cool yeah it's a great outlet for that for sure um okay so where can people find your book and other work you've produced um i i have a website a personal website it's tkrulos.com um it's got a blog and it's got some information on my books but uh heroes in the night monster hunters you can find pretty easily on amazon and bunch of other sites if you look awesome well i can't wait to hear more about uh, this second ufo book if it comes into production and thank you so much for joining us today oh thanks for having me it's always great to talk to you yeah you too take care that is going to wrap up this episode this show and other great content can always be found on our website and if you haven't figured it out by now our website is rogueplanet.tv ufo mod pod is also on google play music and of course you can find ufo mod pod on itunes subscribe to the show on itunes and leave a stellar review if you enjoy the show also we love hearing from you and we're serious about this guys let us know what stories you'd like us to discuss or let us know if there's a ufo related event coming up and we'll be happy to mention it on the show it's easy to reach us because we're all over the place we have a contact form on the website you can use. You can email us at hq at rogueplanet.tv, or you can find us individually on Facebook, Twitter, or anywhere else. 
As always, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show. Thank you for hanging out with us today. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm Ryan Sprague. And I'm Maureen Ellsbury. Keep an eye out for that ball lightning. Mean.